Good morning. Uh, for those of you who haven't met me, my name is Thomas. I'm one of the members of our team that is focused on international outreach here at uh, Clayton Valley Church. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us for Global Impact Sunday. Uh, it is uh, our joy to have with us Kevin and Connie and their four kiddos. Um, they are visiting us from Central Asia today on Global Impact Sunday. Um, we have known Kevin and Connie uh, for a number of years uh, since Kevin was a, a pastor at a local church here in the Bay Area. And we've gotten to know them even uh, closer in, in fellowship uh, over the last five years or so as they have followed the Lord uh, the Lord's leading to Central Asia. Um, if you've been with us for any amount of time here, you know that we are committed to growing deeper in our relationship with Jesus Christ, to uh, 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 walking closer, walking closer in fellowship with each other and community as we encourage each other to love and to uh, serve the Lord and to reaching farther, uh, both in our neighborhoods and uh, internationally. Uh, and it's with that in mind that we are celebrating Global Impact Sunday. So if you were here for the 9 o'clock hour, you got to hear from Kevin and Connie and, and the report of how the Lord is working in Central Asia. And uh, it's our joy now to welcome Kevin to share with us from God's Word. And uh, with that, I invite my brother, Kevin, and uh, let's give him a warm welcome. It is uh, ooh, very loud. Indeed, a joy to be here with you all, to be able to worship the Lord together with you. We, our family loves you guys, and we are so honored and humbled and privileged to be able to be in partnership with you guys in seeing God's glory spread to all the nations. And so as you partner with us, as you pray for us, it is you guys, we're in it together to see God's glory among all the nations. And so we're so thankful for you guys and just the ways that you continue to send and continue to support and pray. And so we uh, consider a privilege and a joy that after four and a half years overseas that we can come back to the States for a short period this summer and to be able to visit you guys and to be able to worship our awesome God together and to be able to look at his word together. And so uh, as we dive into the word, let me pray one more time and then let us look at God's word. Let us pray. God, we praise you because you are the only one worthy of praise. We praise you, as we just heard, that you are the good shepherd. Thank you for calling us to yourself with your words of love and grace. But God, we want to hear more from you. We want to hear you from your word. And so God, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts by the power of your spirit so that we would understand you better from your word and know how to live a life that pleases you. God, we praise you that you are indeed stronger than all things, that the power of sin has been broken because Christ is risen from the dead and, and it is his words that we want to hear and his words that we want to apply to our lives. God, help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, many years ago, uh, my wife, Connie, which I think is dropping off the kids, and I, we went to a party. Right when we arrived, the, the comments started pouring forth. Connie, your new haircut looks so good. Connie, I love what you did with your hair. And other comments of the sort kept coming, but I was a little bit baffled. 
I looked at Connie and with uh, great foolishness said, you got a haircut? (laughs) Well, you didn't notice it, she replied. And looking back, I probably should have said something like, regardless of what haircut you have, you always look stunning to me. But even more foolishly, I simply said, nope, I didn't notice it. Now, there are several similar things in life that I simply don't notice, don't see. One time, I was sitting in the living room chatting with friends for over an hour, and then my wife arrived, and right upon entering, she said, I love the new colors you painted your wall with. But once again, just another thing I don't notice, don't see. Now, for most things like new paint or new haircuts, my lack of seeing or not noticing is not that big of a deal, right? I mean... I only had to sleep on the couch for like just one week after the haircut incident. Just kidding. But seriously, for many things in life, if we don't notice or see something, it's not that big of a deal. Unless what we don't see is what God wants us to see. And in our Bible passage for today, John chapter 4, 27 to 42, that is exactly the situation Jesus' disciples find themselves in. So please open your Bibles and let's look at the story now. I think if you're looking using one of these, it's on New Testament, page 74. Uh, We're looking at John chapter 4, 27 through 42. I think I'm going to be using the ESV and I think here's the NESV. But for context, as you're turning there, earlier in chapter 4, Jesus had been speaking with a woman from Samaria. Despite her many sins like having had five husbands and the man she's living with now not being her current husband, despite all of this, Jesus intentionally passed through Samaria to save this woman. In verses 25 to 26, we read the following. The woman said to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus then said to her, I who speak to you am he. So simply put, through their interaction, the woman learned that Jesus is the Christ, God's promised Savior of the world. And that's where our passage picks up, verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back from the town. They marveled that he was talking with the woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Then verse 31, meanwhile, at the same time, the disciples were urging Jesus saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? So very quickly into our story, we begin to see the story's dilemma, the conflict, the problem. There's one God and his sent one, Jesus Christ. And there is the Samaritan woman and Jesus' disciples who each see things very differently. I mean, did you notice that? On the one hand, we have the Samaritan woman. She had come out to this well at the hottest point in the day to draw water. It's physically something essential for survival. But after seeing Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, what did she do? She left her water jar and then went back into town and told all the people about Jesus. On the other hand, we have Jesus' disciples. 
when they saw Jesus talking with a woman, they marveled. They were shocked. And while they didn't verbally ask this question in verse 27, we know they thought it. Jesus, why are you talking with her? She's a woman and a Samaritan one. I mean, in chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, and we had sung it as a first song, the disciples had already heard Jesus say, for God so loved who? Just Israel? Just the Jews, right? No. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. But yet the disciples still did not see what God wanted them to see. They did not see the infinitely more important spiritual world in which they lived. Instead, they only cared about the physical world. Because earlier in the chapter, we learned that the disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So here's the situation. We have Jesus' 12 disciples who had seen him perform miracles as a Christ, heard clear teaching about his sent purpose to save the world as the Christ. Yet when they went into town, they didn't see anything other than their own physical need to buy food. Whereas the woman left physical water to tell others about spiritual living water in Jesus, the disciples could only see their lack of physical food for that day. Which brings us to verse 34. Jesus responds to his disciples, which is the main point of the story. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Simply put, like Jesus, we need to see and do God's will and accomplish his work. In the rest of our story, we see this main point fleshed out with two simple exhortations for us. First, in verses 35 to 38, it is clear that God's will is for us to see his harvest. Jesus says, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and look in the NASB and ESV and see. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Jesus' call to his disciples then is the same call for us today. Lift up your eyes and see. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Especially on this side of Jesus' death and resurrection, what Jesus said is not only true, but urgent. I mean, we already saw a glimpse of God's will in John 3.16 of God's love for the entire world. Then in John's last book, the book of Revelation, we see God's will in crystal clear detail. In Revelation 7, 9 through 10, John says, After this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, 
And they're all standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They're all crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Then at the very end of that book and the Bible, Jesus clearly says, Surely I am coming soon. Praise God. But when Jesus comes again, the opportunity for salvation, the opportunity for people to become part of God's harvest is gone forever, for all of eternity. Brothers and sisters, now, spiritually, now, all around us is God's harvest. So question, in your day-to-day life, as you go about the day, what do you usually see? Are you more like the disciples, mostly seeing just this physical world with its physical needs, social barriers, worldly problems, and worldly solutions? Do you mostly see people as either obstacles in the way of what will make you happy and those struggling with anger or jealousy or seeing people as objects to be used to make you happy? When you look at people, particularly in these past several years, what do you see? Do you mainly see maybe a mask or no mask and all the worldly, temporary politics and earthly freedom and rights that are seemingly attached to these choices? Do you mainly see color or race or ethnicity? Do you mainly see people or states as red or blue, donkey or elephant, Democrat or Republican, and all the fleeting, temporary, earthly things that are connected to those things? Or are you more like the Samaritan woman who lifted up her spiritual eyes and first saw Jesus as the Christ, the one and only Savior of the world, and then saw God's spiritual harvest and went to go tell others about him? Brothers and sisters, mask or no mask, Democrat or Republican or green or independent, African-American or Caucasian or Hispanic or Asian or any other ethnicity, rich or poor, old or young, male or female, all, every single one of them, all are lost sinners before a holy God who rightly deserve his just and eternal wrath against sin. And all who have repented and trusted in Christ alone, by faith alone, all are redeemed children in God's one family. So what do you see? Our sovereign God never gets a wrong address. Everyone in and around our lives, our schools, our workplaces, and our communities, they are not there by accident. Christian author C.S. Lewis puts it well. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals. Immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal whores or everlasting splendors. Brothers and sisters, let us lift up our eyes 
and see. See that the fields are white for harvest. And as you see God's harvest, focus on showing God's Savior, which is our second exhortation. See God's harvest and show God's Savior. In verse 34, Jesus had told his disciples, my food is to do God's will and to accomplish his work. Now, it is vital for us to remember that Jesus accomplished God's work in an utterly unique way. Okay, Jesus was and is the unique Savior of the world. Jesus fully accomplished God's work once and for all by living the sinless, perfect life that no one has ever lived. And then dying on the cross as a substitute for sinners. And on the cross, Jesus cried out, It is finished. Because he accomplished God's work of redemption and he paid in full sin's penalty of death. And to prove it, Jesus resurrected from the dead three days later. So that now, if any person recognizes that they are a sinner deserving death, and if they repent, turn from their sins and turn to Jesus alone, by faith alone, they will be saved. Now, friend, if you're here and you have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you can do so today. And I'm sure if you have any questions about who Jesus is and what he has done to save sinners, please talk to the friend who brought you or, or to Pastor Chris or another member of this church. But Christian brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ accomplished God's work of global redemption in a unique way. Our role, our role in doing God's will and accomplishing his work is to see God's harvest And to simply show God's Savior, Jesus Christ, like the Samaritan woman does in our story. In verses 28 through 29, we saw that the woman went into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I love what God did in and through the life of this Samaritan woman. After being shown God's Savior in Jesus Christ, this woman was dramatically changed and boldly and fearlessly showed God's Savior to all. Earlier in chapter 4, the isolation, the shame this woman lived in was clear. She intentionally chose to draw water at the hottest point in the day because she knew no one else would go there at that time. She already had five husbands and the man she was living with was not her husband. So this woman from a human perspective, was a huge sinner. The townspeople all knew it, and the woman herself knew it, and thus lived in shame. But in light of this, what we see in verse 29 is astounding. She boldly, she fearlessly showed God's Savior, the Christ, to all. She said, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. And this was clearly not a boast, right? She wasn't an hourly successful or good person. Saying, come everyone, (coughs) see the man who praised the things I've done in life, who is commending me for all the good things that I've done. No. In saying this, all the sin that the townspeople probably knew and suspected, the woman herself confessed publicly. Why? Because any shame that could have come from publicly confessing her sin was completely overshadowed by the glory of her, the Savior, 
who accepted her despite her sin and shame and who forgave her. Moreover, what is interesting is that this woman immediately began confessing her testimony to point people to Jesus. Not her own thoughts, not even her own changed life. This woman didn't say to herself, well, let me first go back to town. Let me leave the man I'm living with, renew my marriage vows with my current husband, and live a pure and faithful life from now on. Then, when people see the change in my life, they will see Jesus. Now, please don't get me wrong. True faith in Jesus Christ always changes lives. And while I hope that is part of what the woman did afterwards, what is clear is that what this woman found much more urgent than showing people her changed life was showing people the Savior who changes lives. Salvation is all about Jesus Christ, God's Savior of the world. So in our story, after the woman did her role in seeing God's harvest and showing God's Savior to others, Jesus, the Savior of the world, did everything else. After Jesus addressed the spiritual blindness of his disciples, the story picks up again in verse 39. <clears throat> Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Our calling from this passage is simple. See God's harvest and show God's Savior. Christian brothers and sisters, I know that many times I, when we're overseas, we oftentimes read the news of what's happening here. And I know that many times when we look around us, what we see is not encouraging, right? Maybe what you are seeing around you is so disheartening that it's causing you to think about maybe moving to a safer city, moving to a nicer state, or maybe it is enticing you to turn inward, trying to find a, a safe Christian haven amidst a culture that is increasingly hostile to God-honoring ethics and principles. But beloved, can I ask you this question? When you look at the people and the culture around you, are the things that discourage you or cause you to have some of these thoughts because, because the people and the culture are lost? Why do they act that way? Why do they believe that way? Because they're lost. The Bible is clear that the greatest problem in the world is lostness. People are lost sinners and they are at war with God. But when God saved us as a former lost sinner, he did not take us immediately home to heaven, which he could have done. But he sent us. He sent us as his ambassadors to this lost world. Because the only solution to this problem of lostness is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And God wants us and he calls us to see his harvest and to show his Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And as you and I seek to do this, there are at least two important questions to ask ourselves as we close. <clears throat> First, as we see God's harvest and show God's Savior, is it possible to show Jesus Christ the Savior just through our new changed lives? Or are words necessary to show Christ? In our passage, verse 41, what does it say? Verse 41, many more believed because of what? Jesus' word. In verse 42, the people said, for we have what? Heard. We've heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior. In Romans 10, 14 and 17, God makes the necessity of words crystal clear. God says, how then will they call on him, Jesus, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? For faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Christian author Donald Whitney tells a story. A man became a Christian during an evangelistic emphasis. When he told his boss about it, his employer responded with, that's great. I'm a Christian. And I've been praying for you for years. But the new believer was crestfallen. Why didn't you ever tell me? He asked. You were the very reason I have not been interested in Christ and his gospel all these years. I mean, how can this be? The boss wondered. I have done my very best to show Christ and the Christian life around you. Well, that's the point, explained the employee. You live such a model life without opening your mouth and telling me that it was Christ and only Christ who made the difference that I convinced myself that if you can live such a happy and good life without Christ, then I could too. Brothers and sisters, as we see God's harvest, let us show God's Savior by opening our mouths and speaking Christ's gospel to others. The second and last question for today is this. What is preventing you from speaking Christ's gospel among peoples who have not yet heard it? The what. The what of God's call for all of us, for all Christians, is the same. We are all called to see God's harvest and to show his Savior both through our changed lives and through proclamation. But the where. The where of God's calling is different. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest, both here in the Bay Area and all around the world. So what is preventing you from fulfilling your calling and showing God's Savior in places where the laborers are few? And unless more laborers go there, many people, many more people will be born and they will live and they will die having never heard the all-powerful, the mercy and grace-filled, saving gospel of Jesus Christ? What is preventing you from joining us among unreached peoples? Mehmet, that's not his real name to protect him, but Mehmet is a high school graduate who is preparing for a very important college exam 
an exam that determines where he can go for college. One day, Mehmet decided to take a walk on one of his study breaks. And like most people in Central Asia, he is addicted to his phone, maybe all around the world, right? But on this day, while he was walking, he glanced up from his phone right when he was passing by our church building. He saw the big cross on the side of the building and he was moved by the Holy Spirit to take a detour and to stop by. (coughs) Because simply put, because even though Mehmet was not actively seeking after God, God was actively pursuing him. There were a few of us at the church when he dropped by. We had tea and conversation. And when he left, he asked if he could have a New Testament, which we were very happy to give him. (coughs) In the following weeks and months, He would drop by regularly to ask questions about what he was reading. As that was the very first time in his life he had read the Bible. Over time, as we continued to show God's savior in his word, Mehmet, praised God, repented, and trusted in Christ alone for salvation. Now, on the day he first visited, Mehmet was just one of 15 or so visitors that day. And almost all of them had never been inside a building where a Christian congregation gathers and meets together. Almost all of them had heard lies and false teachings about Jesus and the Bible from their religious teachers. And when we had the privilege to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, for almost all of them, that was the very first time they had heard it in their entire lives. Brothers and sisters, in this city where we serve, there are an average of 15 or so of the people I just described who visit our church building daily. By his grace, some come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and join the church where our calling of making and training disciples continues. But yet there are only two of us worker families who labor in our city with a few local friends. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. By God's grace, the church where we serve at has had the privilege to plant churches in five other cities, four of them being a two-hour drive away. In two of those cities, there are still no laborers. So every, every Sunday, after our morning church service, we drive two hours to these cities to serve and to help gather the believers there for worship. And while we joyfully do this every Sunday, imagine the impact. Imagine the impact it would have if there were available laborers who moved to these cities and lived there to love and to serve the churches and to reach out to the communities there, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week as well. Beloved, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. In these two cities and other cities that we are praying about planting churches in, not only are people who need to hear the gospel white for harvest, but believers, young first-generation believers that need to be discipled and equipped and built up, they too are also white for harvest. Lift up your eyes and see. What is preventing you from joining us to live among people who have never heard? to see God's harvest 
and to show God's Savior by speaking Christ's gospel. Let's pray. God, we thank you. God, thank you for including us in your harvest. Thank you for opening up our eyes to see your Savior, Jesus Christ. God, help us to see the things you want us to see. Lift up our eyes, God, and help us to see your harvest. Give us boldness and courage to open our mouths to speak and to show Christ to all. And God, as we do this, God, we pray. We pray that you would produce fruit for your glory, that you would call many more people like Mehmet to yourself, that you would change their lives through the gospel. We pray that you would do all this for your glory alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.